love has done its part And let him reign in my life and my heart Your love has done its part Welcome to Healing Hidden Wounds Radio, sponsored by Shadow of His Wings Ministry. We are glad you are listening today and hope you find words of healing, insight, and restoration. Shadow of His Wings Ministry was founded by Lee and Shay Preston and born out of God's vision for setting captives free. If you would like to support us in the work we do, please visit www.shadowofhiswingsministry.com to donate. Today on Healing Hidden Wounds, Lee is talking with Jonathan Darty, director of Be Broken Ministries. Let's listen in as Lee and Jonathan discuss the ins and outs of recovery from sexual brokenness. Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. We're glad to have you here with us. This is our Healing Hidden Wounds segment of the uh, program. And my, I am Jonathan. I'm here with my friend Lee. Hey, Lee, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Jonathan? I'm great. And uh, we are enjoying some uh, nice weather here in San Antonio. And it's always a good time to live in San Antonio when, this, when it starts to become spring and things get sunny and warm. And then it's about, what, two weeks later, then it's burning hot. And we really don't know why we're living in Texas at that point in time. That's right. But we really enjoy this time of year. That's right. We enjoy these two weeks. Um, (laughs) Well, this week we're going to be talking about um, this whole question, hey, what's love got to do with it? And you kind of you kind of brought that title here. And what exactly were you wanting to talk about in this particular broadcast concerning this issue? Well, uh, I think the most important thing to kind of take away, hopefully, from this uh, this podcast is uh, to try to discuss what love is versus what performance and what conditional love is. Because uh, a lot of times guys, at least the guys I see, whether they're either homo- homosexually addicted or heterosexually addicted, they most of them have some sort of issue with performance-based acceptance in their childhood. So something something of about the difference between what you might call uh, true love and false love. Exactly. Because, I mean, I would imagine when you're starting to talk about kind of the performance aspect, that's not true love. That's a false sort of relationship, a false sort of connection. There's no real love connection there. It's based on what you can do for me or uh, as long as you stay in these particular parameters – then we can have this sort of quote-unquote love relationship. Exactly, exactly. Love isn't unconditional. It is set up based upon how I perform. I would like to ask you, just before we kind of dive into the material, in in your practice and maybe in your dealing with guys who are sexually addicted, again, whether homosexually or heterosexually addicted, just kind of off the top of your head, what percentage of guys would you say came from a background where performance-based approval was a significant part of their histories? Oh, I would probably say 85 to 87 percent. So it's a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. And we don't oftentimes look at that because we don't oftentimes realize it. But as you sit down and you talk to a guy, and even in my own past, and I know you and I have talked yours as well a little bit, you know, there's this this thing that kind of sits in the family that nobody really talks about, but it's this kind of idea that when you're good, mom and dad love you. When you make mistakes, we reject and we withhold. And isn't it easy for families to pass that down without even realizing it? I mean, it's not really, 
I know that in my case, my parents, I don't think they were, there was this conscious decision they were making to say, we're going to give approval based on performance. It's almost like it's just, it's very, it's a very natural sort of thing. Hey, you behave well, you get a reward. You misbehave, you get a punishment. And then there's this, this idea that then is communicated to a child that says, I'm, I'm accepted if I perform well, I'm rejected if I perform poorly. And that's probably, in my case, that wasn't the message my parents were intending to send. So is it almost kind of like out of human nature, it's really easy for parents to get into that sort of mode without even realizing they're the damage they might sure. be doing. Sure. I think it's the best kept secret of uh, of the most broken families. Mm-hmm. They don't know it and they don't even know the brokenness is there cuz you know what parent doesn't like their kids to bring home good grades and what parent doesn't like their kids to clean their rooms when they're told to and cuz it reflects well on them. It reflects well <laughs> on them and we're told in the Bible to you know to train up a child in the way they should go and so this is good training and the parents think wow I'm doing good training here right. so you know, I don't believe my parents intended it either, but it what begins to happen is 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 that need to perform is held at a higher standard or, or held higher value than true love. Because then true love says, I love you anyway. But sometimes parents accidentally, if they see a failure, they, they don't realize they're doing it, but they begin to withhold or pull away. And that little boy begins to feel that. And he goes, uh-oh, I know when I'm close to mom and dad, I'm doing good. When I'm not close to mom and dad, I must be doing wrong. And isn't that just the way kids process information? I mean, kids, I think, even much more so than adults, are are really tuned in emotionally until they've been scarred, damaged, wounded, abused. Um, and, and I think they're, they're going to process so much through their emotion as a child and so it's almost like they get, you're saying about this feeling, it's almost like I would call it, they get a vibe. Sure. You know, they get a vibe around their parents, and then they start interpreting what those vibes mean based on this interaction they're having with their parents. In other words, it's like if they get that good vibe, they start looking at, well, what's happening around us that tells me this is a, this is a good vibe? And so, hey, I just brought home a, record, a report card with an A on it. So, okay, that must be related to this good vibe, so therefore let's keep doing that, making A's. Sure, sure. And, and they're not thinking it through in terms of the fact that maybe Dad had a lousy day at work or maybe he had a good day at work, got a bonus. And there's other variables in, involved in that, but the kid has a limited perspective with which he's kind of interpreting these interactions. Sure. And a lot of it is filtered through that very... Uh, aware emotional state that kids are in. Right. And I think we would be amiss if we didn't also mention that, like we just said, this is one of the best kept secrets of broken families. And so maybe mom and dad do it, but they don't even realize that they were taught it by their parents. And the reason I wanted to bring that up is because there's certainly this continuum that parents are on. And there are certainly some parents who are intentional in their performance-based love. (laughs) Right, you know, and they they make no bones about it. Hey, listen, you better be the star athlete on the football team, or I'm not gonna take you fishing, or I'm not gonna take you, I'm not gonna love you, basically. Right. And there's others that are un- unintentional. So I'm trying to say there's this broader spectrum than just these intentional 
hurtful parents. Well, and those and truthfully, I bet we could even say that even those those true intentional parents are probably unintentional because they are, you know, they're probably not sitting there going, man, I'm going to make my child a performance based child. Right. But they were probably brought up as with these high expectations of you must meet this standard. Otherwise, we don't love you and you're not a good kid. And so they're trying to work that out and figure out what that really means for their own kids. I think what's also true about about kids who grow up in this family and is they 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 don't understand what love feels like. They know what acceptance feels like and they also know what obligation and duty feels like. It's kind of like the kid and there's nothing wrong with this scenario, so you know, I'm just going to set it up as kind of an example. It's like the kid who says, you know, uh, I don't want to go to grandma's for th- for for lunch today. I want to stay here and and play my Xbox. Oh no, your grandmother loves you. You know you need to be there today, but I don't want to. I want to stay here. Your grandmother would be so upset if she knew that you didn't want to come see her. So what's what's the feeling that we see around that whole discussion? Guilt. Yeah, and that's one of the things I was going to say is that a lot of times in this performance based environment, that is one of the tools of manipulation that parents often use. Again, maybe maybe they're aware of it, maybe they're not, but it's a huge tool that's used to get to kind of corner a child into a certain way of thinking. And and like you said, that example there's nothing there's nothing wrong with a parent wanting their child to go to grandma's house. Right. But but to then pour out that guilt on that child based on the parents' desires and expectations is is really a poor way to go about it. And it communicates something to that child that says, listen, these are the values by which we operate in this family, and you're obligated to do this thing, whether or not you like it, and and that's just the way it's going to be. And if you don't do that, then you're less of a person. Right. Is kind of what is being communicated to that child. Exactly. And not only that, but I do things out of guilt. I don't learn how to do them out of genuine love and concern. Yeah, and then unfortunately, the collateral damage in that is the relationship the child has with the grand grandmother, right? Because then he's going to start associating grandmother with these guilty, obligatory feelings. And how can you really like enjoy your time with your grandmother if you're there out of guilt and fear and obligation, and you're probably not even getting to know your grandmother. Sure, and if we fast forward that situation to say a guy who's addicted and he's sitting there trying to relate to his wife, he'll only do things for her out of obligation. He knows what he she may set up for him inadvertently that he can be successful at and he'll do it out of obligation, but he doesn't really do it from his heart, which is where Jesus says to do it from. Absolutely. Now you, you you're starting to step on toes now. You hey. know you know our listeners are going to wait a second. Keep it with grandma. Keep it with you know that whole past situation. Don't bring it into the present now, because I have a feeling that's where you're going. Right, Lee, you're going to bring it up to date. Up that's to where speed. we're trying to get to. You know, it's because uh, most of the guys I work with, including myself. I mean, I'm not speaking you know from uh, inexperience here. Is this whole perfectionist thing causes a little boy to grow up looking at obligation and duty. And he doesn't really understand what real love means. He doesn't do things out of love. He does, he does them out of duty. It's kind of like when your, your mom says, now, go give your brother a hug after you've just had this horrible fight and you're punching him in the face. And he <laughs> says, she says, now, go give your brother a hug and apologize. I can do that out of a, a duty, but it doesn't change my heart. 
And even even if you know, even if you do the whole uh, one pat on the back, and then mom says, "Now do it like you mean it." What do brothers do? They act like they they perform the way that mom wants to see it, even though on the inside they're still punching each other in the face. Exactly. Rather than letting <laughs> them have some time apart, calming down, and then sitting back down together and say, "Look." Do you know how it really felt for you to do this to your brother or for your brother to do this to you and really try to get them to work out the emotions? A performance-based family just wants to see the good outcome. They don't want to know what's really going on in the heart. And to me, that's the key. It, it promotes image. Exactly. It's not about substance. It's about image. And so all of a sudden, you your focus becomes, because this was my history, my focus became perfecting the image while the inside was rotting away, sure. while the substance was, you know, ankle deep in terms of my my maturity, my uh, willingness to connect emotionally, didn't have a clue how to do any of that. But man, the image would have really fooled you because you learn how to. And I think that's the other thing is that you learn how to project an image that seems like it's deep, seems like it's very healthy. And yet the whole time, that whole image is to actually keep people away because you wouldn't know what to do if somebody crawled inside your space and really got into your life, into your heart, into your emotions. Sure. And don't you think this this environment of performance base also begins to create a lot of fear in those children who are growing up? Sure, because one false move and the whole house of cards crumbles. And they don't know how to handle that because it's not real. There's Mm -hmm. nothing real about it. But they got to stay on that treadmill of performance to make sure everything stays looking good on the outside. I mean, I remember him in the depths of my addiction as a kid being, you know, looking at porn, going out and doing anonymous sex with other folks, you know, all this stuff, and then coming home and putting a great smile on my face because that's what my parents expected. And yet if my parents were to ever say, hey, what's going on, I knew I couldn't really say because they didn't really want to know. Not because they're bad parents, but because their performance-based acceptance was, ooh, if you tell us too much bad stuff, we won't know how to handle it. Well, is it the fear also in in the idea of being known? Sure. That's part of the fear, too, because you start, if you lock into performance-based thinking, or what I'd even call a perfectionistic type of thinking, where you want to have this perfect image regardless of what's going on inside, then you have to become this divided person. And usually what's going on behind that image is way less than the image you're portraying. Sure. You know, it's it's you got the shiny uh, new car look on the outside and you're just a rotten old, you know, jalopy on the inside. And so then I think part of that fear, too, is if anybody saw the jalopy, I mean, I'd die. I would I couldn't handle that emotionally or that's what we tell ourselves right. is we couldn't handle that. And the fascinating thing is that you can't really experience love unless somebody sees the jalopy. Exactly. And but since the, we never knew love. It's like all they know is acceptance. and I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, performance. And so all they know is, wow, if anybody ever truly sees the real me, I will have no acceptance whatsoever. Absolutely, yeah. Nobody will want to know me. And it even begins to bleed into our relationship with God. So then we begin to say, hey, even God, yeah, he may see me behind my secret place and in my secret place, but then I definitely know he doesn't love me. Now, I want to pause here for just a second, because for all of our listeners out there that are going, oh, crap, you're telling me I'm going to have to like expose who I really am, and, and oh, I don't know if I can do this. Listen, all the thinking that has gotten that person up to this point where they are these two people, and they've got the image out there, and man, it's polished, but on the inside, they're just not 
they're not up to par with all the people that they think they're, you know, they're performing for. I want to let those people know that you didn't come to the conclusions you came to because you're stupid or because you uh, lack understanding. In fact, you took a very logical route in getting to the point that you've gotten in your thinking. I mean, kids um, are not dumb most of the time. I mean, the kids who develop these performance-based or grow up in these performance-based environments, they're not idiots. They're actually uh, taking a very logical route to the conclusions they're coming to because no one uh, willfully moves toward pain. And so, therefore, if in their home situation... If they do X and it equals Y and Y is painful, they're not going to do X anymore. Right. But if they do A and it equals B and B is pleasurable and it makes things peaceful in the home, they're going to do A as much as possible. That's logic. Sure. And so I want to try to relieve some shame that some of our listeners may be feeling as we continue to move through this information to let them know, listen, the way you got your false thinking was actually through logic. But there's a greater truth in terms of how you can kind of break through to a greater intimacy in your relationships, and that's sure. where God comes in. And Sure, Jonathan, because it's really logic and behavior modification. It's not that we are intentionally becoming little performers, and it's probably not that our parents even wanted us to become little performers. But there's a, there's a lie of Satan behind all of this that says, if I can keep them from knowing real love, then I can keep them on this treadmill, and then I start feeding into them these false things that will help fill in the gaps because I know real love helps everything. Mm -hmm. It it conquers all fear. It takes everything bad away. But if I can get them to go after the counterfeit by showing them only performance and only duty, so it is a setup. It's not ours. It's just that we get caught up in it. Right. Well, what happens then is these... uh, you know, because there's obviously going to be some discomfort in these in these kids that are growing up this way. Because, hey, that God didn't design us to be little performers. He didn't design us to be, to to live in performance based relationships. He designed us to live in love with one another. And so, what happens as these boys grow up in this performance based system? And 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 where can it ultimately lead, especially as it pertains to what we deal with in terms of sexual addiction? Sure. Well, you either have two, you have two kinds of boys then in this, in this kind of performance-based home. You have one who finally says, forget this, I can't ever succeed, I can't ever make them happy, and so they rebel completely away from it, and they turn into the so-called bad kid. The kid who's going his own way, doesn't listen to mom and dad, doesn't do anything they want him to do. His grades are sinking in the toilet, and all he cares about is going out and hanging out with his friends or doing things outside the house because he's not only realized that that he can't be good enough on the inside either, now he's saying, I don't want to do this anymore. The bar keeps getting moved every time I try to reach it, and I don't want to do it anymore, so I quit. And so he'll be the major underachiever. Or you got the other guy, the other kid in this family that's going to say, man, I got to work harder. I got to run faster. I got to do better. I got to take on more. I got to be the valedictorian. I got to be the class president. I got to take on all this stuff. And meanwhile, I've also got to be the perfect Christian because perfect Christians image perfect things. And so all this starts to happen. 
But unfortunately in their hearts, since they don't do this out of real love, because we're not doing it as unto the Lord, we're not doing it out of love, we're doing all these things out of performance, he begins to develop this huge ball of hatred, resentment, and re- and uh, and bitterness that begins to grow inside because he knows there's something different with he's that's that's on the outside of him versus the inside of him. And the irony really is that no matter which of which side of the fence you would land on, whether you're the the major underachiever who rebels against all of the performance requirements in the house. Or if you're the overachiever who says, man, I'm going to keep going, keep going, keep going, keep trying to please, 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 both of them wind up at the same spot, totally unfulfilled exactly, and empty. Empty, completely empty. There is no real love there. Parents think their kids are doing great because while they see all these great things, if they're on the, you know, the, the pleaser side, if they're on the rebellious side, they're saying, oh, man, where did we go wrong with this one? He's just a rebellious kid. But it's coming from the same seed of, of perfectionism and performance. And so that kid never feels love. So ultimately, yeah, he's still empty inside. And that's where all these things of the world start getting offered to him. I was going to say, that's where that's where the enemy is real crafty about saying, hey, here, start to start to appeal to the lusts that that, you know, are crying out to you and all the pornography and the sexual things that you can do. And what's interesting is when when these uh, boys start to respond to that is they find an escape. They find an escape, whether the underachiever or the people pleaser, they're going to find an escape. And it, it gives them a false sense of belonging, a false sense of feeling, mm-hmm. you know, because, hey, their sexuality is powerful in terms of, sure. of, of being a powerful feeling. And so then, but but what's interesting is lust leads to the exact same place that their underachieving and overachieving led to, which is emptiness. Exactly. And they don't see that because all of a sudden what they are getting at least a taste of is this this feeling that they've never even had before. Because it is, in my opinion, this is what I always say, is that lust is the counterfeit of love. It's Satan's counterfeit. Mm-hmm. So they're getting at least something that looks like, tastes like love, but it doesn't fill. And so they're finally like, wow, this is something I can kind of live with. This I don't have to do anything for this. I can look at porn. I can masturbate. I can go have anonymous sex. I can pick up a prostitute and all those things I don't have to deal. I don't have to even worry about. I, I, it, I don't, it doesn't take any work. I don't have to perform to get him. Right. And depending on where the boy's wounding is at, is at whether he's been wounded more by dad or wounded more, more by mom, is where we begin to branch off into homosexual addiction or heterosexual addiction. Yeah, because I was going to say, kind of all this, all this stuff regarding performance-based environments, um, it is based on the similar principles. Whether or not a guy eventually gets wrapped up in homosexual or, or heterosexual pornography and, and addiction, so it's like, um, you know, one of the things that I've really appreciated in my recovery and in the recovery communities that I've been involved in is the fact that that you know what? I'm not so different from a guy who got wrapped up in homosexual addiction. Sure. I mean, anybody else who's like me that grew up in somewhat of a performance-based system, or at least that's the way I started to live, was for, through this perfectionist of, perfectionistic image-bearing kind of uh, mode, then I'm going to be at home with any other guy who's uh, come from that same sort of background, even though we might have steered off in different directions in terms of our acting out. 
Sure. And that's I hope that's encouraging, especially to our listeners who have gotten really tangled up in a lot of same sex attraction stuff, because I I do think there is there is poured an unnecessary additional amount of shame on those who have gotten involved in homosexual acting out versus heterosexual. Sure, because this is an interesting, Jonathan, in our performance and our perfectionism, some guys even like to say, well, at least I never got involved in sex with other men. Yeah, when there's nothing else fundamentally different from our our histories. Exactly, (laughs) but it's still perfectionism. It's still me trying to say, well, at least I never went there. And, And basically God says, you know what, guys, it's the same thing. It falls in the same place. It's all you looking for counterfeit to replace the genuine. And we're all in the same boat when when it comes to us all falling short. We've exactly. all fallen short. I mean, it doesn't really matter to what degree because we're so far short. Uh, from God's perspective, we're all in the same boat in exactly. terms of how far short we've fallen of his glory and we've all sinned. Um, and so uh, especially somebody coming out of that performance-based background does not need that additional shame. Right. Right. Well, and it happens, unfortunately, on on both sides, even in the heterosexual world. I never, at least I never bought a prostitute, or at least I never had, you know, the swinging sexual encounters right. and those sorts of things. The unfortunate or the fortunate part, whichever it is, the way you want to look at it, sexual addiction falls on this continuum that people go in and out of along that continuum throughout the process of their addiction. What would be your final word of encouragement for somebody who's listening today and says, man, that's my history. How can I break free from that? Well, real love feels much better, and, I'm, and I don't mean feel. I mean fills, F-I-L-L-S, because it fills your heart much more than the fakeness of performance and perfectionism. And so what you have to try to begin doing is just praying that God would pour his real love into you and that you'd begin to see those places where you try to perform versus just being who you are. And also being willing to find somebody, someone out there, several people out there that you can begin sharing the real you with so that you can begin seeing that, hey, they love me as well, no matter what. We are glad you joined us today, and we hope that God had a special word just for you. Remember that Healing Hidden Wounds and Shadow of His Wings Ministry are listener-supported, and all services are provided on a donation basis. If you heard something today that was especially important to you, we hope you will consider donating a gift. Please visit www.healinghiddenwounds.com to donate today. Now let it rain in my life and my heart. Your love has done its part. Now let it rain.